0: nature of this program, listener discretion is advised.
1: Gary Michael Schultz, and this is Cinematic Quicksand. I would like to introduce the man who lives every single day of his life in the fast lane my co host, The Doge.
0: Yeah, damn right. About to uh, just grab that steering wheel, hit the open road. Roll down the windows and turn up that Nelly Furtado. I'm like a bird and just ride into the sunset, <laughs> bud.
1: <laughs> they yeah. we have a calming effect on the subject matter of this particular episode. Road rage. That
0: is you, dude. If you're uh, if you're not blasting uh Pantera, you're you're beeping or yelling at somebody in the other lane, dude. That's that's Sh- the show joys some of-
1: respect. I multitask.
0: You you do drive like an octopus, dude. I swear to God, man. <laughs> <laughs> you're constantly changing songs conversations in the back seat <laughs> it's uh it's pretty impressive to see you drive my favorite thing is when somebody else is driving with you for the first time and they're like what the fuck i mean you've always gotten me into my destination <laughs> i think
1: i actually drive better when i multitask yeah do you're my thing do, man djing in
0: driving fucking getting us there hell yeah so we're talking about some road rage open roads these guys are uh Tough dudes driving tough cars, doing some shady shit, right? For for the most part, yes. These are films
1: about characters that love to go fast and they don't give a hell about a Thor tie
0: Yeah, they don't fit into your box, you know? They're not they're not gonna live your life. They're a different type of breed. Oh yeah, man. They're out the box. Don't box them in. Yeah, man. So it's good um exploring these types of films with These protagonists and and their car, and so, like, you know, the relationship between that. And, you know, some of these are life affirming, you know, you go on a quest, and some of them are just, you know, um, shady dealings with a bag of money and a car, you know? Really, all the
1: protagonists are anti heroes. And often, as you'll see, they symbolize more than just their own immediate journey. I know I'm getting deep on you, right, man?
0: Well, why not? (laughs) Well, I think once you put this thing in drive, all right.
1: First movie is 2007's Death Proof.
0: Is it safe? No, it's better than safe. It's Death Proof.
1: Directed by Quentin Tarantino, starring Kurt Russell as stuntman Mike. We got Sydney Poitier, who is the daughter of... Sydney Poitier as Jungle Julia, yeah. Jordan Ladd as Shanna, Don't Call Her Shauna, Vanessa Ferlito as Arlene, Rose McGowan as Pam, Rosario Dawson as Abernathy, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Lee, Tracy Tomes as Kim, and Zoe Bell as Zoe Bell. Wow.
0: Is that a tasty beverage or is that a tasty beverage? What? There you go.
1: This movie fucks.
0: Well, so how does how does this movie fuck? Death Proof was the second film, uh, a part of a double
1: feature that Rodriguez and Tarantino created called Grindhouse. Yes, the first being Planet Terror, which is Rodriguez's film, and Death Proof being the second film, which is basically a homage to '70s Grindhouse B movies. It's about two separate groups of women that are stalked at different times by a scarred stunt man, stuntman Mike, played by Kurt Russell, who uses his quote death proof cars to execute his murderous
0: plans did any of them survive like when you talk about death proof i feel that it hits bigger as a whole you know with death proof and planet terror and the fake trailers yeah. and that experience that like when that movie came out it was awesome because it was just like i'm gonna go spend five hours in the theater and watch some badass movies yeah that's great like, that that's never happened i mean that's like it, at least in my life where like two Premier directors were like, let's just release movies together. And it was a cool experience. And I think that that's what, like, one of the things that might have hurt Death Proof, too, because it's it's a Tarantino movie that gets forgotten because it was with something else, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. But this right here was an event. It was them homaging the things that they grew up on that they loved. And, dude, everything from the the coming attractions to the fake trailers yeah. that were done by the likes of Eli Roth and Rob Zombie and Edgar Wright, like, this is where Machete came from, dude. Right, exactly. You know?
0: Machete would have happened without this movie. And it's, it feels like, you know... It was definitely for a certain group of people. Us. And I am in those you know, people. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely you, dude. I mean, this, yeah, this was made for you. Do you guys like the thing? They like it better than no thing. We watching Death Proof, I've you know, uh, multiple times. I got to say, sometimes I thought it was a little bloated, a little self-indulgent, but Tarantino knew the assignment. He did that type of grindhouse movie. I think that the movie does
1: drag a little bit in some of the early dialogue scenes, but if you're a big fan of exploitation films of the 70s or a fan of Jack Hills, for example, who did right. Coffee and, and Foxy Brown and Switchblade Sisters, yeah. those films were shot in like 15 days and didn't have much of a budget. So you typically had four or five scenes that were action-packed. And and you had to pad it with something, which was usually a lot of dialogue that often inexperienced actors couldn't handle. So Tarantino aesthetically is spot on with this. You know, in Death Proof, there's probably like five or six actual locations that aren't in a car. Yeah. The movie sets itself up and then it goes to a bar and it sits there and we get to learn this group of characters and we feel like we're going to follow them. And then an absolute bananas twist happens, which is what you come to expect from Tarantino. And then the next thing you know, we're following a whole different group of people.
0: Wow, that's fucking scary. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted it to be impressive. It was like the perfect timing because like you're watching this, especially after, you know, you watch... uh, Planet Terror, which was just bananas from you know, yeah, just buckets of green blood. (laughs) Yeah, you get some insane trailers, and you get this, and then you're like, "All right, man, it's Tarantino dialogue, talking about hip music and this and that." You're like, "What? What is even? What's going on?" And then it starts, and you're like, "Yes, I love this." We have stuntman Mike at the bar being cool, scarred up. I mean, it's Kurt Russell being Kurt Russell. I mean, there you go. He picks up Rose McGowan, takes her to his car. And you're like, oh, what's going on? And right when he's pulling out of the parking lot, that line when he's talking about you know left or right, yep. and she says right, or and the whatever. whole movie flips, and then itself. the bottom drops, yeah. and you're like, oh, hold up! I was when I was watching this movie, I was just like, man, stuntman Mike would be able to kill me so easily because once I saw that car, I'd be like, yeah, I'll go for a ride. And he was like, <laughs> I'm gonna be like, dude, this is awesome! It's a I get to go in a deathproof car, stunt car. Yeah, let's go fast and he'd be like, you sucker, and just rail me around inside his car. Like I would die in. I mean, he didn't
1: lie. The car is deathproof.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a dude that just hunts women down with his car. You know, it's just like a shark movie almost. He just likes to build cars and, and kill women with them. And he picks the wrong set of women this time, you know? How about that lap dance? This film is a homage to those
1: great car movies of the 70s, like the original Gone in 60 Seconds and Vanishing Point. In fact, the car that Kurt Russell drives is a replica of the car from the original Gone in 60 Seconds. And later on, when we introduce ourselves to Tracy Tomes and Rosario Dawson's characters, and of course, one of the greatest stunt women alive, Zoe Bell, playing herself, they go and they take out the car from Vanishing Point. Oh, it's just so good. It, it, yeah,
0: it was a good looking car. And she
1: plays Ship's Mast. Yeah. Which what, is the most insane
0: car stunt. Yeah, so what what is Ship Mast? What's that game? What? You take two
1: belts like the ones you would wear around your waist. You strap them to each door. You hold on to the ends with your hand as you ride on the hood of a car that's doing 90 miles an hour like you're on the ship's mast right oh it's I'm, fucking insane i'm more of a teen wolf uh guy <laughs> <than
0: ships past. laughs> like that is insane you know
1: segue in high school i had a friend who was driving through the neighborhood and his buddy got on top of his van and did the teen wolf surf on top of the van the cops pulled him over and arrested the driver and uh, the guy right. who was actually doing the surfing just walked away <laughs> so yeah that's where i grew
0: up i was just like oh man gary's gonna tell me about how this guy is on Wheelchair because he was Teen Wolf and I'm like oh. no, no, no no I wouldn't do that to us but no I mean really we're bearing the lead here because when you think about Death Proof you think about two things Kurt Russell being awesome obviously and obviously. you think about the final 20 minute car chase
1: it's some of the best stunt work I've I've ever seen when it comes to cars I mean they did all that stuff organically. Tarantino wanted this film to feel like a 70s film, so he shot it himself instead of hiring a DP because he didn't want it to look too good. Yeah. Um, and it's gritty as fuck, and it's just full of this weird mix of testosterone and metal and, and these really strong female characters in the second half especially. Tracy Tomes doesn't get enough
0: credit. She kills this dialogue. Yeah. I'm the she channels it, dude. I think, honestly, like, how we were talking about, you know, Grindhouse movies kind of have, like, poor acting a little bit. that, And that's kind of really... I think the first set of girls, their acting was a little, you know... Too uh-huh. cool. Yeah, yeah. And then... And then he brought, like, you know, I think that there's Rosero Dawson in the second yeah, half. Mary Lose Winston. Yeah, and, like, those are, yeah. you know, stars now. So, it was interesting how he did that. But that, I mean, that final car chase is just crazy. I mean, this girl's on the hood of the car getting slammed around. And it's just, there's no big visual effects. It it's goes just on, right and, on there. and on and, and it's like, just You're trapped in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. There's no place to go because... There's no place to go. Oh man, Is you're watching this movie, like like I said, the first half starts off really slow and then it gives you a little taste and you're like, yes, I'm in. And then it just drags it out again, but then it just delivers so hard.
1: Yeah, the ebb and flow of this film definitely has peaks, but when it does peak, those twists are what you come to expect from a Tarantino film. I know this movie out of his filmography is not his most popular, but I'm here to remind everybody that this movie's fucking awesome. That if you go into it with these expectations, you're going to see some of the best car stunt work ever and you're going to be thoroughly
0: entertained. Well, damn, if you ain't so sweet, you make sugar taste just like salt. Yeah, I totally agree. It's just like you you have to judge this film based off of Grindhouse Films because it's what he, he was just like, I'm making one of these movies. It's going to have some scratches on it. It's going to have some jump cuts and, and missing frames and a small plot, but... That's what those movies did, and that's what he wanted to make, and he nailed that, you know?
1: Yeah, that's probably actually what I love the most about it is the lack of plot, um, which I think will be a common thread in lots of these films. (laughs) I'm just more interested in digging into the characters
0: and and the reasons they do the things they do. I totally agree. So, uh, some fun facts about this. Tarantino got the idea for this movie uh, from Sean Penn. Um, What? Yeah, yeah, so... Tarantino wanted to buy like a Volvo when he first got like kind of popular because he didn't want to die in some auto accident. You know, he felt that Volos were very safe cars and Sean Penn was just like, you know, you could just buy like any car and give it to a stunt team and they can make it death proof for like 10 or $15,000 and then blah, like, of course, like anybody you said the word death proof, proof car. I mean, yeah. Done. That's all he needed, you know? That's great. And then also the next time you watch this is you can see Kurt Russell in the background of that uh diner scene. Eating. Really?
1: I've seen his film ten times. I never noticed yeah, that. He's and in the he's background. quite noticeable. <laughs>
0: you, yeah, you would notice. In fact,
1: I noticed other extras in the background this last
0: time we watched it and I didn't see him. Yeah. Holy shit. He's back there, dude. As we were talking about, you know, Tarantino and his relationship with this movie, it is true that even he said that this is not his best movie. You know, he's not saying it's a bad movie, but he would probably put this on the bottom of his list of his favorite films. And it was the only movie since Reservoir Dogs that wasn't nominated for a major award mm, of his. Mm. So, but again, that's, he didn't make this movie yeah. for awards. You no, know? this like, movie made was made
1: for the fans of these kind of films and maybe to introduce these kinds of films to a new audience. Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, man, this film does not go on the bottom of his
0: stack. you got to watch his movie for what he was trying to do. You know, you're like, all right, cool. He was trying to make a grindhouse movie. Boom. And he did. Yeah. Oh, come on my ass. We said every time. So as we talk about how cool Kurt Russell is, he almost wasn't the man behind the wheel. Mickey Rourke was attached to this movie and... It was just the agents playing hardball, just not getting back. And then finally Tarantino was like, oh, fuck it. And then just went to Kurt Russell.
1: Yeah, And it's Kurt fucking Russell. Yeah. I mean, come no, on, man. Exactly, man. I also think that his character being Stuntman Mike brings a level of satire and empathy to what would be a really dark character, especially if Mickey Rourke played him. Yeah. Not that Mickey Rourke can't be empathetic because the wrestler is phenomenal. I don't know, man. I just love me some Kurt Russell, bro.
0: I want to talk about how horrible these friends are to, <laughs> to... Mary Elizabeth Winston? Yeah, so they, they go and they want to test drive the car from Vanishing Point. So they're like, hey, he's not going to let us take this car. This crazy hillbilly who is at least stereotypically dangerous. Maybe he is a creeper, maybe he's not, but he sure looks like a creeper. They do as much as possible to make him look and sound like a creeper. They're like, hey, you know, let's take this car... But uh, for like collateral, you can just have our smoking hot actress friend. Dressed actress, like a cheerleader. Dressed like a cheerleader. Who they who's said already, was there
1: filming a porn movie.
0: Who's already like <laughs> half asleep. They're like, cool, we'll be back. And then and then the movie, when the movie ends, it ends. So we have no idea what happened to her. Like, as they're celebrating, you know, your friend could be just on a meat hook. Where's that sequel to when they go back and now they have to kill that other guy? I think Eli
1: Ross directing that one. Yeah, there you go.
0: (laughs) But that was like the one thing we were like. Wow, that is like, those are some shitty friends here. But Tarantino
1: like, followed the rule of Roger Corman. When the monster's dead, the movie's over, bro. I, I get that. Yeah. I just, yeah, I hope it all turned out well for her, but I don't think it did. Go rewatch Death Proof. And if you have the time, watch the whole Grindhouse experience, because that's what it is. It's an experience, it's a film experience.
0: And if you allow yourself to have fun, It is fucking awesome. It's crazy to think that those two huge directors would just convince the studio to be like, hey, we're going to make two movies, we're going to sell them together, and that's it. And they're like, okay, cool.
1: When you're at the top of your game, at that point in time, you uh, make the rules, I guess, right? Exactly. Exactly. So uh, where can people see Death Proof, Doge? Um, You
0: could rent it on Amazon or Apple.
1: What about kind of cute, kind of hot, kind of sexy, hysterically funny, but not funny looking guy who you could fuck did you not understand? All right, Doge, uh, since we have already mentioned it, why don't you take us there, man? What are we talking about next?
0: Yeah, it would be wrong to talk about Death Proof without talking about its predecessor, Vanishing Point. Name, Kowalski. <laughs> Occupation, driver. Transporting a supercharged Dodge Challenger from Denver to San Francisco. Vanishing Point, 1971, directed by Richard Serafian with Cinematography by the great John A. Alonzo. Mm, now, st- stunning cinematography. Uh, we don't typically give the shout out to the cinematographer in, in the intro, but that's what really makes this movie.
1: Yeah, the cinematography in really this is magnificent. John A. Alonzo also did Chinatown in the original Magnificent Seven, so he was no slouch. No, but he his wasn't. photography in Vanishing Point, I mean, it's
0: breathtaking. So, starring Barry Newman as Kowalski. Our Driver and then Cleavon Little as the DJ at Super Soul. Super Soul. The American hero. So Vanishing Point, much like Death Proof, Little Light on the plot, but Kowalski is a hot rod driver who delivers cars cross country while he's driving cross country, always seems to run in trouble with the law enforcement, probably because, you know, he's smoking speed or- Yeah, I mean, yeah. And driving fast. (laughs)
1: He's popping pills and doing 120 on average. Yeah, (laughs) so that
0: that kind of gets the cops attention there. Now he uses speed to get himself up. This particular cross country trip is an existential one. You know, there's some flashbacks, there's some haunting memories. You don't really know what he's driving to or what he's driving away from but you're in the passenger seat with Kowalski as he fights his inner demons. It really is that. I mean, Kowalski's on his way to San Francisco to
1: deliver a car. We don't really know why. We just know he delivers hot rods and does it very quickly. But this journey is more than just that. He's unpacking the tragedies and triumphs of his life. And along this journey, he's trying to discover what true freedom is.
0: Yeah, and what's, what's interesting about this, you know, 1971... So the 70 movies are a little different, you know, it's not so on the nose and it's very open to some interpretation and maybe not everyone likes it or they're a little confused or they think it's a little slow, but it's beautiful though. And it's like a, a Easy Rider vibe almost of just like, this is this is life in the 70s, man, what, what it is all about. Like I mentioned about um, Heavy Metal, you know, this movie feels like a movie that I would play at my bar on silent and... People will just like pull up and want to eat a burger and look at this TV and be like, "What is this beautiful movie?" Like I'm just like enthralled. And like I said, I've never seen this movie. I should have seen it a long time ago. I'm embarrassed that I haven't seen it. Don't be embarrassed, man. You better late than never. Better late than never. You are right. And when I finally watched it, I was just like, it resonated with me a lot. And
1: I think the comment that you said earlier about these films not necessarily being plot heavy, but they're character driven, and because of that, you're watching Kowalski, who's essentially soul searching throughout this mm-hmm. film. It's rare you get a quote unquote car film a road rage movie where this anti-hero is unpacking his own personal journey and you see what events in his life have led him to be here what different pathways could he have gone down if things had gone differently this is a counterculture film this is about ushering a new idea
0: everybody's after kowalski Totally agree. And what's fun about this movie is that, you know, you got Kowalski, you don't really know what he's about. And then you got the blind radio DJ, It's just super soul, kind of like...
1: Clevon Little, Blazing Saddles. Yeah,
0: just checking in, you know, giving you a little uh, little taste of what's going on, letting the audience know... For me, he's really Kowalski's guardian angel.
1: There goes the challenger, being chased by the blue, blue meanies on wheels. He's a radio DJ that has this strange connection to Kowalski, a man he's never met, but he hears of his journey and it symbolically becomes bigger than just a dude racing to outrun police across country. It becomes like this celebration of of freedom and what that means.
0: Which is just, it's hilarious because you're like, uh, how does this radio DJ know that he's even listening to him? You know, it's just like, it's not like they're talking. It's not like... Hey, Kowalski, and he's blind, like, but he knows Kowalski's listening. You know, yep. like, and it's it's pretty interesting. And then you have just all beautiful 1971 hippie women. You know, like it's it's that vibe there—the long kind of blonde hair. Is there something I can do for you? Well, like what? Like anything you want, and just. Naked as the day they were born, just vibing out. Yeah, yeah. Well, um What's interesting
1: about that is that most of the females that are, are feature players in this, uh, it, there's a flashback in his life where you realize Kowalski lost a woman that was very special to him. And all of these women that he meets along the journey kind of look like her. They all look like and her. And that's obviously intentional. It's, it, it's symbolic, you know? Right. And this thing that keeps reminding him of the person that he is and has been
0: and i got to i got to say you know when you think about seeing uh, a naked woman on a motorcycle, like at first I'm like, oh, that sounds really sexy. But when I saw it in the movie, it made me nervous.
1: Dude, you were so uncomfortable. <laughs> She's riding very nude on a motorcycle in the desert. You yeah. know that seat's hot.
0: That's a hot seat. That's a hot, There's hot seat. There's some dirt and just rocks just flying up. It's just like, all right, just put on some basketball shorts, girl. Like you can go top, <laughs> this, that's fine. But it's just like this just makes me nervous, makes me uncomfortable. And like, I was like, No, what are you doing? Come on, <laughs> stop it. But yeah, I got to say, man, uh, I really, I'm very happy that I watched this movie. It really kind of captured a moment for me that I didn't know about.
1: This character's journey, if you allow it to wash over you, is beautiful and relatable and tragic. And it's, it's just life, man. And the resolution of his journey is the only way it could resolve. It's about freedom, man
0: about freedom man you know it
1: is i'm really happy that when we watched it that you did love it because it was going to be a really difficult discussion <laughs> if you didn't
0: yeah right i know you should have just forced me down and showed it to me earlier because I, I was like no nah, i'm i'm happy with that it's one of these films when you describe it maybe it
1: doesn't sound that exciting but when you watch it it is a beautifully made film it's a character piece it's exciting it's really got does. a
0: badass what, car, what what's this badass car what is the official badass car
1: uh, nineteen seventy Dodge Challenger with a four forty in it.
0: Ooh.
1: That's white a, on white.
0: That's a that's a V eight. Yeah, four 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 forty's <laughs> a V For, eight. I should have I should have preferenced this whole episode with a I don't know jack shit about cars. You know? I, I, uh, I drive a Honda Civic and I like zipping around, you know. I'm not I'm not a big uh car guy, but I can appreciate it. Yes, know? and I'm a nerd that loves yeah. cool old American muscle. Yeah, definitely um, you I are just do. an American muscle car type of guy and I'm like, "Eh, whatever, I'll get a Vespa. Like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not so, uh, you know, I don't have that love affair with cars. But it is kind of interesting because a lot of these protagonists do. I mean, it's a relationship with their car. dude. I just never had that really so much with, uh, you know, an automobile? You not ever even had that with, relationship, uh, Jean Claude Grandam? I mean, we had some moments, of course. You know, I try to, I try to keep them right, you know, and, and be nice to them.
1: Closer, closer to our soul hero in his soul over here.
0: They're gonna get him. So a little uh, fun fact here. Um, So we have that white challenger, you know, and you're watching this movie and you know that there's some metaphors and and that you're like, oh, what does this white car represent? And uh, it represents nothing because the director just wanted a white car to stand out from the the brown background, which does like kind of make sense because the car just pops. Yeah, that white's really clean
1: and, and and it does pop and everything reflects off of it. To put our own symbolism, I mean, essentially Kowalski's driving a challenger. He is challenging authority. Oh my
0: god. It's and, right there. And he's white and white is just like what is it, the the pure is that is that what is it? Or is it an angel or, or what is who knows? You can always Yeah, the white does just, have a
1: angelic quality to it, doesn't it? Right. The it?
0: connotation with white is like pure or angel, you know, Man. and hoping to find that 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 white that pureness inside it on the yeah. open road. Yeah. Um one thing is like kind of interesting too is when, you know, When we make movies and you want a car, you want somebody to drive a car, you know, you have to get that car cleared. And when you try to convince a company to let you borrow a car for a drug dealer or something like that, they don't like that, you know? So they used the Challengers for this and they were all returned to Chrysler and 7 out of the 8 of them were damaged and Chrysler's kind of pissed at that and then went and watched the movies they were so upset because it's basically, you know, a drug addict, you know, breaking the law in their car and Chrysler was so upset about it but this movie was a huge reason why the Challenger became popular, yep. and it became one of the you know best muscle cars. And even today, both the film and the car have huge cult statuses. Oh yeah, so, it became you know, a
1: sought after muscle yeah. car.
0: You know, I mean, when
1: you get a speed addict driving as fast as he possibly can, the self imposed uh, yeah. delivery date, um, you're gonna get some smashed up vehicles. Yeah, and he really does drive the hell out of this car. <laughs> I mean, really the first does, half dude. hour of this film is just is like the last half hour of Death Proof
0: yeah that (laughs) engine hot dude that's cooking dude he is yeah but Vanishing Point dope movie Uh, if you want to see it you're going to have to rent it off of Amazon or Apple but I um, highly
1: recommend it I'll tell you what man buy the Blu-ray for 10 bucks it is a beautiful transfer and you will not regret it because this film this film is fucking fantastic they want to get him and put him away
0: but they'll have to catch him first.
1: I'm going to hit you in third gear right now with 1994's Road Racers. <laughs> Directed by Robert Rodriguez. I know we mentioned him when we talked about Death Proof. That's yeah. Tarantino's film, but Road Racers is one of my favorite low-budget film from the 90s. It stars David Arquette as Dude Delaney, Salma Hayek as Donna, John Hawkes as Nixer, and William Sadler as the Sarge. The film is about a rebellious 1950s rocker, played by David Arquette, who has to confront his future, local thugs with knives and the crooked town sheriff, all while trying to keep his girl and find his own
0: path. I ain't gonna run, not from Teddy from crooked father, not from anybody. Yeah, man. Road Racers, what a fun movie, man. It's a nice indie movie that has some cool greaser action, man, and an awesome role by David Arquette.
1: Yeah, it's one of David Arquette's best oh. roles and one of his least known.
0: I don't look up to anybody.
1: Basically, after Rodriguez made El Mediachi on $7,000 and everyone was like, we're going to fucking fund your next film, which was going to be Desperado on $7 million. In between that, because he made El Mediachi by himself, they were like, hey, why don't you uh, practice working with a real crew? So he had an offer to do a Showtime movie, um, which was a budget of a little over a million dollars, and that film ended up being Road Racers. They shot it in something like 17 days, and uh, Rodriguez got his first taste of making a film with an actual crew and not just him and, like, two people. Right. uh, Most people think Desperados is follow-up to El Mediachi, but right in the middle there is Road Racers, and Road Racers is sick, dude. It's just, it's sick.
0: The tone of this film. Yeah, screw his little fucking hometown, man. Yeah, he's too cool for that He needs something to rebel against. They never play anything good on this damn radio. Yeah, what a smart move by Robert Rodriguez to sneak this one in and just get, you know, a little more uh, weight under his belt. Who knows what he learned from this movie that helped Desperado be the movie that, you know, really exploded his career. So it does feel kind of like a little TV movie-ish, but not in like a bad way or anything like that. It's a a smaller, precise film that just kind of drops you in this 1950s world, kind of a hyped up, you know, rebel without a cause type of thing. Yeah, game. yeah. Just like, you know, a little more rockabilly, yeah, a little yeah. more
1: satire, but it has these great themes throughout it. you yeah. got this, you know, this outsider whose girlfriend is a uh, Mexican, played by Salma Hayek, in a town full of people that don't look like her. And so him and her and John Hawks, their characters are all these these outsiders that don't really belong. Yeah. John Hawks plays this guy that's obsessed with the original invasion of the body snatchers, so much so that he basically believes that he is either going to be snatched or has been. yeah. I may be a walk in sideshow, but at least I don't get no trouble. He adds this weird, uh, interesting like humor, but also right. hits you with the knowledge every once in a while. Yeah, no,
0: exactly. Where you're like, John Hawks, just baby John Hawks, yeah. just like, you're like, oh, look at him. And he's kind of weird and so obsessed with this movie, but then then he hits you with some uh, heart, and you're like, dang, man. he's yeah. really He really cares about his friend. He really wants to get out of this town. And just how he's obsessed with Invasion of the Body Snatchers is just really that town. You know? yeah, That's what he thinks it is, man. Yeah. Everybody is the same, or like, you know, everyone's just kind of been taken over Everyone's so numb to it, you know, and That rock and roll music's ruining them kids. He needs to get out of that town before he gets lost. And even though it's really not his story, you're rooting for him. He's more likable than, you know, Arquette's character where you're like, uh, I hope he gets out of it, you know? I'll
1: tell you what, uh, I got to work with John Hawks years ago. Uh, I was driving with him to set one day, and of course I mentioned Deadwood because that's one of my favorite shows ever. But I was like, John, you know what I really love is Road Racers, and he was like, Road racers, you know road racers, <laughs> and uh, uh, I think he was really pleased. There's something about actors that are always happy when you Wait, know their well, yeah, yeah the deep cut nugget, yeah. and I was, and I could talk about road racers in depth. So I think we spent like 30 minutes talking about road race. That's
0: great. <laughs> you see, dude, they forced me to be this way. Back to David Arquette's character, he is so awesome. So greaser. I mean, there's so much humor. You talk about like him greasing up his hair, like this, this scene of just the globs and globs of grease that he's throwing in his hair. He that puts looks more
1: lube like, in his hair than you
0: have on an old diesel, dude. <laughs> it, it looks like horse cum that he's just combing into his hair. It's the grossest fucking scene. He's just and it's in like, like this oil can uh, looking uh, thing, uh, and it's just uh, so uh, much uh, of it.
1: He's been making you look like a
0: fuck up. It's a really long setup for a really funny payoff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he really goes. Was far out of his way for that joke which I can appreciate but <laughs> when you first see David Arquette like we last we talked about the Stooges last week but my favorite Stooges song is Search and Destroy yeah. you're a street walking cheetah yeah. with a heart full of napalm and that's really what I think David Arquette's character is in this movie how he just slinks into this open shot in his shoulders and he's like slinking through this crowd and you're like damn this dude's got swag bro he is in it Selma Hayek is the hottest chick in this whole fucking town like nobody in this town Hey, and all little, the mean girls right. are just totally hating uh, on her. Of course. I mean. Jealousy. Yeah. And then he just grabs her. And when he kisses her, he leads with the tongue, which I got to say, that's like, it was a pretty powerful move. His tongue is straight out of his mouth and goes right in.
1: He leads with the tongue when he's dropping her off at home in front of her
0: adopted parents. Oh, yeah. So he goes all tongue. And you're like, right on, man. Zero fucks given. But he, <laughs> he's such an interesting character. And it's like, you know, it's about the decisions that he's making, you know, and there's this time of like growing up and, you know, you want, you want to follow your your dream or do you want to prove people wrong i think there's a lot of pride messing with this character yeah yeah he's trying
1: to decide you know is his dream even achievable what is his dream exactly which obviously revolves around rock and roll yeah but can he even achieve that unless he breaks out of this town and will breaking out of this town cost him everything you know so what are you gonna do this is honestly probably my favorite character arquette's ever played i i totally agree and it's funny that it's two most popular characters are Dude and Dewey. That's his secret sauce there. Speaking of Dewey, fun fact, Wes Craven was originally supposed to direct this, but he dropped out to do the underrated amazing new nightmare is this true
0: i guess so dude that's uh, according to imdb pro <laughs> that, is, uh, that is the the truth which is which is pretty crazy we're like all right i don't know why west craven would be really attached to this movie it does not think, seem to, like his tone know?
1: but then again maybe it was totally yeah i don't know what it does not seem like a west craven tone but i'm glad it went that way because new nightmare is fucking sick and this movie is such a great vehicle, Absolutely. literally and figuratively, hey. for Robert Rodriguez to have in his career.
0: And was I wrong? This film was shot in my lucky number, Yeah, amount of days? I, I was going to wait to correct you until the end. But yes, 13 days. 13 days. There's a lot. I mean, it feels like, you know, it is kind of a, a smaller film. I mean, the scope, there's a, yeah. a few locations and that, but still a lot of dude in 13 days. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Kick some ass.
0: Um, what we haven't really talked about is William Sadler playing the big bad, you know, the cop that's just uh, always busting uh, David Arquette's balls. He has a prick kid. The that man who loves like.
1: pigs in a blanket more than anyone.
0: <laughs> There's this four minute scene when he's talking about the pig in a blanket that his mom made him and it's in his like front pocket. He You're takes like, an extra one out what of you, his pocket what are you to give to uh, his partner. Like, uh, don't get me wrong. I like a good bagel dog. Yeah, but know? then his partner goes to eat. He goes, no
1: just smell it smell it you exactly. gotta learn to use more than just <laughs> your
0: eyes and ears in this job yeah you're like, somehow smelling that pig in a blanket <laughs> it is robert Rodriguez does does go way out of his way for some jokes in this movie which i totally respect i mean you got the grease joke and the pigs in a blanket joke and you're like all right you've committed to that it was like you know about eight minutes of screen time for like two jokes but you know what i appreciate it what's funny <laughs> is that There's this awesome scene with David Arquette in the car and he's playing the guitar behind his head, you know, guitar solo behind his head, while Selma Hayek is on top of him making out. And you're like, well, this is the coolest fucking thing. Here, you play something. Well, you don't like the kind of music I play. Just play
1: something. It's literally the coolest moment is to be in some classic American muscle to have figured out how to wire your amplifier into your car so that you can play your electric guitar,
0: jam some blues chords, and make out with Salma Hayek. Yeah. I mean, that's winning. Totally. And uh, William Sadler's like seeing him from a distance, and he was just like, he ain't shit. This is like, no, actually, you are wrong. Yeah. He is the shit. That is, yeah, the, that's yeah. the coolest thing. <laughs> he ain't shit. Why are you watching, bro?
1: <laughs> <laughs> he ain't that bad. He ain't shit. Oh, man. Um, road racers. So, Doge, where can people watch road racers besides my living room?
0: Yeah, you're going to have to rent this one on Amazon or Apple or YouTube. He you ain't doing nothing. You're going to spend the rest of your days right here in this little town. And you're going to die here with one of my burgers in your hand. And that's it. All right, Doge, what do you have next for us? I'm taking you to the future. I'm taking you to year 2000. (laughs) (laughs) Death Race 2000. Yes. You finish first or not at all. Death Race 2000. The 1970. (laughs) 1975 We're not talking about the remake here We're doing the OG one Directed by Paul Bartell Starring David Carradine as Frankenstein You got the namesake Sylvester Stallone As Machine Gun Joe And then Martin Cove as Nero the Hero So, what this movie is about in the dystopian future, the year 2000... 20 years ago. Yes. 20 years ago, (laughs) I was promised that there would be a cross-country automobile race that requires contestants to run down innocent pedestrians to gain points that are tallied based on each kill's brutality. This sporting event is a failed government's attempt to unite the nation around something. Every car, a deadly weapon. Every spectator, a potential point. So it's kind
1: of like Roman gladiators Yeah, unite everybody around something, except this is an insane cross-country race where the drivers try to run over. Yeah, drivers are
0: just driving East Coast, West Coast and running over people on the way there. And some people want to be run over. They want to sacrifice themselves for these drivers who are like modern athletes, movie stars that people are obsessed with. You know, Yeah. the two megastars, the Tom Brady, the LeBron James, you would say is David Carradine and Sylvester Stallone. You yeah, know. this is pre-Rocky Stallone, the year yeah. before. Stallone essentially plays the heavy. You know, Myra, some people might think you're two. But me, I think you're one very large baked potato. Well, he rolls up and the crowd is booing him and then he just shoots them with a Tommy gun. You're like, yeah, yeah. wow. And then punches his girlfriend. Yeah. This movie is like <laughs> this movie is insane as bonkers. It's a Roger Corman movie. It's so probably clearly. Roger
1: Corman's most famous film in this yeah. era is Death Race 2000. This- hence why it's been remade and sequeled several times. It
0: is Roger Corman good. Oh, definitely. This was my introduction to Roger Corman. One of my friends, Matt, gave me his... DVD and I watched it and I was like, and hey, my life is now completely changed. So, euthanasia day at the geriatrics hospital. We do it every year. You know, to get into Death Race 2000, I love that. You know, you get points for killing people, and there's a there's a complicated point system. Oh, here. there's a scoring
1: system. Yeah, of how does course. that work exactly?
0: So, if you run over a man, you get 10 points. Mm-hmm. If you run over a woman, you get 20 points. That's- you get 40 points if you run over a baby. I don't even know what that is. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, And then you get 70 points for running over the elderly and uh, getting them out of their misery. Yeah, you got to put them out of their misery. Yeah. And then 100 points for the quote, Pheebs, which is the politically correct term for disabled people in the world that followed the world crash in 1979, according to this universe that Roger Corman created. Wow. So disabled people- Are 100 points. Are 100 points. That's- I think the, baby, the babies and the elderly should at least be, I think, 40 points for a baby. I don't think that's a lot of points. I think it should be more, right? Well, here's the thing. I mean, how hard is it to run over a baby? Frankenstein scores at last! I think the it's not hard or to run the over anybody, but I think dealing with the um, the psychological trauma of realizing you just ran over a baby... I don't know that place, these so. drivers have uh, that type of empathy. <laughs> like, all right, I get it. You know, you're driving and you see an old person crossing the street. I know you thought about fucking be like, just let's mow this person over. I will not admit that. <laughs> but I, I will admit I've never thought about that with it when I see a baby getting caught. Cr- I'm never going to do that. But an old person will be like, yeah, that'd be kind of funny. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. It's just funny that, you know, these people are driving around running over people in horrible fashion. And awesome, these cars are tricked right? out too by the way
1: they're hot rodded out they have either weapons in the front knives and guns yeah Sylvester Stallone the front end of his car has a giant like Rambo knife
0: that just impales a dude's dick right out the gate like that's the first kill. you're like right in the dick he drove right into the dude's dick Machine Gun Joe I am going to say when you put the name Machine Gun in front of anything that's an awesome name you know Machine Gun Joe even if you were Machine Gun Gary dude that'd be an awesome name actually it sounds pretty good Machine Gun Gary yeah Double G. G. G yeah but yeah, this movie's ridiculous. Again, you know, we're talking about guy in the car in the open road. And- Frankenstein's got a uh, agenda
1: of his yes. own and it may not be what you think it is. This current society is being controlled by Mr. President and it's essentially a dictatorship. Yeah. And there are these, I would call them freedom fighters and they're trying to stop the race by any means. And so you have that kind of political commentary along with this just, I don't even know what you would call it.
0: It's just so <laughs> insane. It's just like the, premise in itself sign me up if I get to watch a movie where people drive across country and run over other people and they're doing a race you know it's essentially cannonball run if everybody was a mass murderer (laughs) yes exactly a neat kill that's the only thing I wish there was a little more cannonball run to it you know like well they only had 80 minutes to get the whole movie squeezed in this is a Roger Corner budget bro wish that it was just like Nonstop, boom! In the car, drive. Then they like stop every night and have like weird like sex or whatever. And when they're not on the road, I don't really know what's going on in the movie. Uh, they're they're getting a reset, a little That'll massage. Mad, uh, I mean, they are, uh, each driver
1: yeah. has a navigator with them. So if yeah. it's a female driver, she generally has a male navigator, and if it's a male driver, he generally has a female navigator. Yeah. And part of the navigator's job, aside from navigating, is to have sexual relations with yep. the driver. Basically, it's about releasing some tension, man. Yeah. And everyone seems to be okay with it.
0: Everyone's cool with it. It's you a know? stressful job driving and, and killing people, so you got to you gotta help relieve the stress of the driver, you know? And that's what the, uh, the passenger does, you know? Can we... What can we talk about this movie that it's just really... It's a nice... I don't even know what it is.
1: Here's what know. it is. This film is insane. Yeah. It's like a ultra-low-budget... Mad Max film. It's hard to talk about without giving away too many spoilers, but I will say that Frankenstein may or may not have a grenade hand. Yes. (laughs) Now what he does with that, I'm not gonna talk about. But yes, you heard that correctly. His hand might be a grenade. (laughs)
0: exactly what do you got for fun facts for us man so there's a 33 body count in this 33 dead bodies 33 dead bodies in this yeah in 80 what 80 minutes it's not bad yeah it's not bad it's not bad okay it's pretty good according to roger corman though some of the several of the custom cars that were featured in the movie were later sold to car museums for way more than it cost to build them and i'm sure he took that off the budget. And you can bet you'll be getting both ears for that one.
1: Uh, Roger Corman claims he has never lost money on a film. Hence, he is the greatest independent producer of all time. But one thing I noticed is so they're starting on the East Coast, right? Yeah. And then like 10 minutes after leaving, they're on, they comment that they're driving through Pennsylvania
0: and it sure as hell does look a lot like California. <laughs> they they hit that speed there, dude. They were like, boom. And in 10 minutes, we're like, yeah, this race goes really fast. You're like, wow, they really covered a lot of ground here i mean yeah i mean you know
1: um, <laughs> um but david carradine as frankenstein he essentially i think inspired not only rob halford's wardrobe and judas priest but i think he was a big inspiration to
0: tarantino's character the gimp in pulp fiction you know what's funny is that david carradine refused to wear leather in the movie so the costume designer had to make like fake leather, make it look like leather. He did mm-hmm. not want to wear leather. He probably saw that like, hey, I'm not going to wear a whole leather bodysuit on this low-ass budget movie and the sun getting baked in this car, so you got to make something a little more breathable. So that, that wasn't sense. actually, but he is definitely leather daddy. In this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, wow, there's a lot of leather here, dude. Why David Carradine took this role is that he was on Kung Fu Forever. Which was uh, the TV
1: show that made him
0: yeah, made just him who legendary. He, was, yeah. you know? he had this feeling, you know, like if you're on a big TV, tv show once that wraps you need to do a movie quickly or you're just going to be typecast as kung fu guys so david carantines is like i need to do a movie cool is this called frankenstein and death race that sounds insane no one's going to confuse me with my kung fu character and i'll do this movie so literally he
1: walked off of the television show when it completed and
0: right into this film yep he was in it i got another uh fact is that paul Bartel died in the year 2000 what the, the director the director of Death Race 2000 died in 2000 61 years old he got ran over by a car. You're f- What? No, I'm just lying. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no fucking way. I want to see proof of that. But, but that's he did R- crazy. R.I.P., R- sorry about that. But, but he wished he'd named that movie Death Race 2040. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's terrible, dude. <laughs> Death Race 2000, awesome film. Uh, you can rent it on Amazon, or you can watch it for free on Tubi. But I will say, Tubi blurred out any nudity in the film, but they were okay with showing a head getting run over by a car. Again, America, what are we doing? Yeah. Why are we afraid of the naked body, but we're okay running over babies
0: and crushing heads? Yeah, exactly. That's it right? that seems like a little disconnect yeah. there. I don't like the censorship. No, me neither. That's just me. How dare you, to Be better. <laughs> he was built by the world's finest surgeons to drive the fastest car ever designed, and nothing can stop him now. I took you to the year 2000. Where are you gonna take me, man? I think we're gonna go driving, buddy. Oh, we
1: are. A little cruise. I'm talking 2011's Drive. What do you do? I drive. Directed by Nicholas Windenreffen, this film stars Ryan Gosling as Driver, Carey Mulligan as Irene, Brian Cranston as Shannon, Albert Brooks as Bernie Rose, and Oscar Isaac as standard. We also have Christina Hendricks, Ron Perlman, cast on cast I mean, on cast.
0: What a cast! Scary. Yes.
1: Uh, what Drive is basically about? Ryan Gosling plays a kind of a mysterious, consummate loner, Hollywood stuntman, also a mechanic, and he moonlights as a getaway driver uh, for criminals. And uh, he ends up helping out his neighbor, Carrie Mulligan, single mom raising her son while her. Uh, husband Oscar Isaac is doing some time, and uh, he starts to fall for her. Their lies intertwine. <laughs> it doesn't end up very positive. No, no. For some him.
0: some decisions are made, and some consequences are had in this movie. And violence ensues. It looks like we have a bigger problem than I thought. This movie, I i put on my leather jacket right now with scorpion my, on my scorpion the back. Scorpion on the back. Like this movie is. Amazing. It was such it was like one of those movies that when I saw it, it showed me something that I haven't seen before. You know, I mean it's such a familiar story. It's very taxi driver, but the the color and the sound and the the, visualness the aesthetic of this it movie, just, it was it like blew my mind when I saw it. It has an 80s aesthetic
1: that is somehow also modern, so it's this weird kind of hybrid of this 80s aesthetic that's modernized. I mean, dude, when that Kavinsky song hits in Night Call in the beginning, oh, and you see those
0: overhead shots of LA at night, it's just I don't know, it gives me goosebumps, man. When I mentioned earlier, I'm driving to some Nelly Furtado, I will admit, I have driven around to some drive soundtrack through Los Angeles. It <laughs> (laughs) It just makes the experience. There has been some Friday nights where it's like, fuck, I'm just going to cruise around. You listen to the chromatics and you're just vibing. And it does that. It makes you want to drive all the areas of LA.
1: And it makes you want to explore them with the awesome soundtrack. It makes you want to wear a cool jacket. For me, Drive was like the place where Art House met Grindhouse. I think because of that you got a really special film with really strong unique performances and like you said it has some echoes of Taxi Driver and it has some echoes of things like you know, Gone in 60 Seconds and Vanishing Point like it has echoes of the classic car yeah, films you
0: know there's some familiar like yeah. genre tropes in it but it's done in such an artistic way that just lets everything breathe and there is a very quiet movie there's not a lot of that's being said in this movie yeah uh, brian Um,
1: cranston and albert brooks have as much dialogue as every other character combined
0: you know (laughs) right for real no and actually in the entire film driver gosling only speaks 116 lines wow He, he says he says under 900 words in, in an hour and
1: 45 minutes? Yeah. I and, think I've said more than in that every in the scene. last 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: It's a movie that's just kind of brooding. It's on that surface and you're just, it's just like bubbling. And then when the gore and horror happen... The violence is
1: not comical at all. It's terrifying.
0: Crazy, dude. It's yeah. so gnarly.
1: I think no, what's interesting too is that Gosling's character, Driver, he has his own moral compass. You know, there is the bag of money in this film, but he's not really concerned about no, that. No, he isn't. No. You know, he's concerned about the girl he's yep. concerned about the people that he values and whatever truth it is that he's seeking from now on every word out of your mouth is the truth <laughs> or i'm gonna hurt you and so you get this anti-hero kind of a straight arrow but he's not
0: yeah he is straight to the point dude there's no there's no bullshit about him when he agrees to do a job he's in and out five minutes that's yeah. all he gets when he you has a bi- he has a that's rehearsed it, speech
1: like- he has a rehearsed speech that he uses, and he tells people, for the five minutes that we're doing this job, I'm yours, whatever happens. But a minute before, or a minute
0: after, boom, I'm um, out. Yeah, right on. And that movie, how that movie opens up, it, it's an awesome you know, getaway that isn't super slick. It's no, like, fast enough here. No, but it has great no tension. Crazy, and but it's just so smart. precise. Like, every cut and shot, and you're like, whoa, the whole beginning was perfect. You know, he drives into the Staples Center, boom, ditches the car, walks out. Yeah, it's like, a great it's setup just, where you see how he maneuvers. You know? He's
1: not only a great driver, yeah. but he's a guy that's, two steps ahead of you even if he hasn't said shit
0: driving like just a basic ass impala with a souped up engine but 300 extra like, horses what's great about that is it's like you know there's not that ferrari car chase it's not that you know yeah. muscle car ripping down the street it's just an impala and you're like has this happened before have, I, have, have you even just yeah because it's that idea you're that rob something this is the most popular
1: yeah. car right now no. uh in Southern California, let's soup it up so it's inconspicuous, yeah. but when you need it, you
0: got the juice. If I drive for you, you get your money. That's a guarantee. Watching the credits, you're like, holy shit, everybody's in this, and they are all awesome. Like, we haven't even talked about Brian Cranston just being like amazing. Yeah, Steve. he's the
1: mentor character to Ryan Gosling's character. And also the one that does the most talking who uh, has a semi-healed broken pelvis, walks with a gimp. So, you know, he's done some dirt.
0: Yeah, he's a little shady. You don't know Old what's Old stunt up, guy. But, you know, is is there a double cross or is this, this or that? You know, you, these are some shady people that you're playing with, but Brian Cranston is just so great in his heart. And then you have Albert Brooks and you're like, Albert Brooks is a fucking heavy, As a very scary
1: Yeah, he dude. actually said in an interview... Well, this is the first time I've ever killed someone in a movie.
0: <laughs> ah, that, that <laughs> and the slight pause,
1: is. I was like, Yeah. Has Albert Brooks killed someone? And then we and he just totally threw us off. <laughs> no,
0: and he does have a very impressive knife collection in this movie.
1: As a man that has many knives, I respect his knife collection. I mean, you know? yeah, he
0: does some he has some, some quality pieces. Like you know? that's Albert Brooks likes to get in there.
1: This movie's cast is so deep that we didn't even mention Ron Perlman plays the other heavy, and he's fucking excellent. And then Oscar Isaac is like number seven on the call sheet, and he comes in with this small character as Carrie Mulligan's husband that was previously jailed, and he's just... He oh, brings awesome. empathy to this character that is is not necessarily a good guy. It's just you see something like that and you're like, oh, that's why
0: Oscar Isaac popped and is now a megastar. Exactly. I mean, that's such a role that can easily been swallowed up. A regular actor who knows would have just been went away and it wouldn't have brought that level to it but Oscar Isis is so great and you're, the, the tension between them too, too and you can't and tell just, if oh, they're going to so start killing, killing each other like, right there or yeah, if they're going to be cool like, does he know does he not know does he care is there, like it, it's awesome how they kind of play that through but, and
1: they both have their own moral codes and the thing that matches in their moral code is family and that's where they find the common ground family. that that family
0: when you get your money his debts paid Never go near his family again.
1: <laughs> um, that you know, even though Vin Diesel wasn't there, he was there in spirit,
0: yeah, yeah, he was, exactly. Yeah, yeah,
1: Vin was standing in the background yeah.
0: with the sunglasses, he would be proud, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, give me some fun facts about Drive. Um, well, Ryan Gosling replaced uh, Pube Jackman in this movie, dude.
1: Whoa, so we would have had singing, dancing, adamantium, <laughs> claw, baron, uh, talking about Hugh Jackman, yeah, which would
0: have like. Nah, I'm nah. alright.
1: No. I love yelling at the top of his lungs, prisoners, Hugh Jackman. Not consummate, loner, quiet, Hugh Jackman. That's
0: what Ryan Gosling can do. Dude, what's so dope about Ryan Gosling? And to get in this role, he actually restored uh, a 1973 Malibu for the, that his character uses. He did it himself. Really? Too. It's crazy. So like, this
1: dude learns jazz piano for La does, La Land. He he He's, restoring it, He's cars. Gonna
0: do it He's going to do it. Do you dude. think he
1: built a house for The Notebook? Yeah, of course he did. You does. know what? I fuck with Nick Cassavetes. <laughs>
0: yeah, there you go. If you notice, Albert Brooks' character has uh, no eyebrows in this movie. Is that what's weird about his yeah. face? To make I, him look more uh, menacing and scarier, which is something that Schwarzenegger did in Terminator 1. You're right. And
1: I like the fact that he plays essentially a heavy, a gangster. You know, he's a guy that does legal and illegal business. Yeah, And because of that, he crosses different kinds of lines and boundaries. And he too, like everyone in this film has their own moral code of when it's acceptable to take a life or not.
0: Yeah. And it's tough to play a boss this scary and not be like ridiculous about it. You know, he's not uh, over the top. It's just Albert Brooks is everybody is so in sync with their character. You get out of here and you never fucking come back. You never come back. Dude, there's so many kind of funny things about this movie. So, uh, Brian Cranston previously guest starred in a 1998 episode of The X-Files called Drive. And that was his first collaboration with the screenwriter of that episode, Vince Gilligan. Holy Whoa. shit. Breaking Bad. Ultimately led him being cast in Drive. So it's just like a full Drive circle. Wow. He started from Drive, got Breaking Bad, and then got Drive. That's nice. You know? It's what else weird. you got for us? What's cool about Ryan Gosling's jacket in this movie is that, A, it looks awesome. It has a awesome scorpion on it. And it looks so cool. And everybody wants to wear that jacket because it's the coolest jacket I've seen. But what's cool about that scorpion on that jacket is that it represents something more. It's about the story where a frog agrees to carry a scorpion across the river if the scorpion promises not to sting the frog, you know? So, hey, if you sting me or I'm going to die and you're going to drown, you know? So it's trusting dangerous people and that's what this movie is dealing with. But didn't that story end kind of like it ends with, you know, the scorpion stinging yeah. frog and they're both dying. So because he's, he's a scorpion. Yeah. That's what he's going to do, yeah. you know? He's, and it looks so fucking cool. Does that count? I mean, yeah. I mean, exactly. I would have also accepted he wears the jacket because it's fucking cool.
1: Yeah, you know, I like, would have yeah. been fine with that. I'd be like, "Yeah, you know what? Wardrobe <laughs> like, nope. A+." Plus. So this story's been told, but apparently Nicholas Wining-Ruffin and Ryan Gosling, when they first had their initial meeting over the film, it went just terrible. Uh, Nicholas Wynne and Ruffin was sick and he was delirious and Gosling took that as a lack of interest in the film. So it probably wasn't going to happen. Um, but during their car ride home, the great REO Speedwagon came on the radio and <laughs> Nicholas Wynne Ruffin just started singing along and bawling and he turned to Gosling and said, the movie's about a guy who drives around LA at night listening to pop songs. And if that hadn't happened at that moment, If that song had not come on the radio, Drive might not have happened. Wow. Damn. That's a story. Time for me to fly, dude. Damn straight, dude. Take it on the road, baby. Woo! Well, thank God, man. God bless REO Speedwagon. Um, Drive is dope, man. Uh, If people want to
0: check it out and they haven't, what's the best place to see it? Um, Renting it on Amazon or iTunes, dude. We're just all physical media. All these movies we have, we're like, yes. Yeah. You give me a time and a place. I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes, and I'm yours. No matter what. Anything happens a minute either side of that, and you're on your own. Do you understand?
1: All right, Doge. Let's drop this into overdrive, take us home. Boom. What do you got?
0: I'm shifting to six gear, and I'm going to be gone. And I'm going to be gone in 60 seconds. I
1: didn't do it for the money. They did it for the cars.
0: That 2000 classic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're doing the remake, folks.
0: Yeah. Not the 74. No, original. not the OG, which probably would be cooler. But we have to give love to our boys. So obviously, we're doing Gone in 60 Seconds 2000. Director, Dominic Cena, produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. We got Nick Cage. Nick Cage as Memphis reigns. Memphis
1: reigns. Nick Cage should always have an amazing fucking name cameron poe red miller when nicholas cage gets an amazing name everything just gets better though no
0: i totally agree i think all his characters should be named after like cities (laughs) like just albuquerque jones you're like fuck yeah (laughs) tallahassee win you're like oh dude sign me up for that nick cage movie i will i will do that sight unseen just yeah just let me know that the character name Tallahassee win I'm, that's I'm great okay so besides uh, Memphis Reigns who else <laughs> is in this film we got Giovanni Ribisi you know Ribisi you know, Giovanni Ribisi you gotta love Giovanni Ribisi cause he's always Giovanni Ribisi and then obviously you have peak Angelina Jolie which watching this movie didn't realize that she was barely in this movie or had no point at all to it but I digress she's still in it what do you think is more exciting having sex we're stealing cars. We've also got Robert Duvall, my boy
1: Delray Lindo, yes. my boy Timothy Oliphant, Shine McBride, and the seed
0: of James Kahn himself, Scott Caan. Just like normal people. This is definitely the Brookheimer get the gang together type of movie. Yeah. I mean, this cast is just so big and massive, and so it's 2000, so, so cheesy. But in this 2000 cheese, a retired master car thief. Memphis Reigns Nick Cage must come back into the industry and steal 50 cars with his crew in one night to save his brother's life because Giovanni Urbisi is a fuck up yeah what's the matter with you it's just 50 cars in one night. 50 cars in one night? You're like, wow, this is going to be... The biggest crew we could find was
1: like six people. <laughs> yeah,
0: and they really take their time to start stealing cars. It's just like, you know, an hour and 20 into the movie, you're like, all right, you can start stealing some cars here. Well, now, there's, there's a lot of planning involved. Oh, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> it's so funny watching this movie as it's such... It feels like a Rick and Morty episode where it's just like so obvious of like, now we got to get the gang together. Yep, this is... That is 2000 Jerry Brookhammers is I. Like, Here you go. I'm just going to scoop it like Armageddon, you know, with cars. It's just getting a gang and they have to go do a crazy mission. And, you know, you say what you want about them, but they're loyal. Well, what I find
1: impressive is that in order to disguise what they're doing, they give each of the car, all 50 of them, a female's name, a woman's name, right? Yeah. And somehow within that prep time, they memorize the name of every car. That would be like memorizing 50 new people's names. I I never thought of that until I watched this last time and I was like, wow, that's That's some photographic shit. There's Eleanor. Nowadays, you just take a picture. Yeah, true. <laughs> Although, I guess that would be
0: evidence. Yeah, you don't want any yeah, You can't memorize that you shit, got, dude. You got Delroy Lindo on your trail, dude. You don't want no evidence. You don't want no smoke from Delroy Lindo. No, no it's my I, I don't. I don't. But this movie is just hilarious. There is no subtlety in this. It's just a There's good popcorn n- Yeah, no movie. subtlety.
1: And what I really noticed about it is kind of what we spoke about in episode four when we did triple feature Nick Cage. Yeah. Is that Nick Cage, he is an actor. And there was a period in his life where he became a movie star. And in this film, I wonder what was left on the floor. You see that there's a character he's created, but it's cut in the Bruckheimer fashion and he doesn't have the cool mullet that he had in Con Air. True. So...
0: (laughs) You're right though. It it is interesting of like, I don't care about his arc, what he's trying to do, because obviously Nick Cage is always trying to tell a different story than Jerry Bruckheimer. Know that those guys are on the same page, but they're like, yeah, fuck it. He's giving me enough, cut it. But that uncut Nick Cage, um, yeah. Gun what does the uncut Gone in sixty
1: seconds you know? Nick Cage performance look like?
0: Because he's got school, cool moments. I mean, it's an. Does it's he dismantle
1: hour, right? a car with his bare hands?
0: Oh, totally. Yeah. Or or he like just in a like freak out. He know? just like sips the gasoline. Like he like you know he drinks the, yeah. the gas. He tongues, he tongues the <laughs> gas hole.
1: I don't think we can say that, and we and this is our podcast. Jesus,
0: <laughs> that's, that's what
1: that's what the the surface. Uh, you heard it here, folks. Nick Cage. Nick Cage tongues the gas hole. <laughs>
0: Jesus. <laughs> well, when you hit the wall, the same thing is going to happen. Yeah, I think I would be a bigger fan of the movie if that happened. Watching this movie, it was just like a shot of a nostalgia. Obviously, there are some cool cars in this. Uh, they do have to steal 50 cool cars. However, they're not all cool cars that they steal.
1: Yeah, I mean, Some they. Boring know, ass cars. There's Eleanor, the 1967 Mustang Shelby, but then there's also, if you look at the list closely, a 99 Cadillac Escalade. Yeah. Now, I know Escalades are expensive, and I know they're very nice. Yeah, but does it hold the same nostalgia? Being at the time a year old, so you got a tricked out Escalade. Is that the yeah. only one in LA? This I bet like, you that's the only 67 Mustang Shelby souped up. Yeah, I'm just saying, man, it's, it was a weird collection.
0: Yeah, somebody had just,
1: very specific tastes.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Fifty cars in <laughs> And like let me get that basic shit it's the one card
1: no matter how many times you try to pull something always happens but uh, this was a massive movie with a massive cast, huge $90 million budget. It did yeah. pretty well worldwide. It continued the end of that 90s, Bruckheimer and Nick Cage, The Rock, Con Air. Yeah. You know, that, that, that whole feeling, it really is a bit of a nostalgia trip, even being, you know, a remake, which I guess we should talk about. This is based on the 1970 original film, also called Gone in 60 Seconds, which was directed and starred H.B. Halicki. It's crazy. He made a film after this and then decided to make Gone in 60 Seconds again. He called it a sequel. I think this was around 83. All he really did was take the original movie, reshoot some scenes, and was going to put it back out. But he died making it while Whoa. doing his own car stunts. He died making Gone in 60 Seconds 2, I'm making air quotes, Yeah. doing a car stunt.
0: We're going to get through this this time, right?
1: Wow. That is meta and tragic. Dang. Felt like that was I mean, important.
0: You are, yeah. You <laughs> wanted to let people know that Halleck died for his art, and uh, <laughs> I'm all right with that. Even Cage himself said this movie had like '70s B aura to it. But when you look at this movie, this was almost Fast and the Furious, you know, like this could have been Fast and the Furious.
1: Oh, I, I've often joked that this was the precursor to Fast yeah. and the Furious. This was, you know, subject zero. What would Gone in 60 Seconds look like if it got franchised like Fast and the Furious yeah. so there was eight additional sequels? Right.
0: I want to go to the alternate universe where there was only one Fast and the Furious and there were nine Gone in 60 Seconds. Yeah. That means
1: nine Nick Cage performances instead of Just getting crazy. Family, and crazier and getting of, crazy crazier yeah. and Yeah,
0: because then what Cage would have pushed that? I mean, they went to space in the last one, so you'd figure... Yeah, what's Cage going to do? Yeah, easy ride? So speaking of Fast and the Furious, uh, Timothy Olfant, your boy... My boy was the studio's first choice to play Dominic Toretto in The Fast and the Furious. Oh,
1: my God. Thank but God he, he didn't do that. But that he an awesome, turned it
0: down because he thought it was too similar with Gone in 60 Seconds. So well, he's like,
1: the sidekick to Del Rey Lindo. Yeah. Although I, him playing an officer, I believe, is the precursor to Timothy Oliphant's playing law enforcement career. He even has a little five o'clock shadow where the mustache, mustache area is. Was in. And then he grows it in for Deadwood and then grows it in Thicker for Justified. It's Timothy just been Oliphant. Been growing since two thousand, basically, yeah. So he was their first choice and said no to Fast and the Furious. How
0: much dollars did he turn down? Well, I mean, I don't know if he would be the best Dominic. I got a better Paul Walker. I was gonna say Paul Walker. I'd be interested in that because he was trying to bring that like humor. He has that kind of like, but he has some odd lines and gone in sixty seconds. deliver all his jokes not all his jokes landed when I I think of
1: Timothy Oliphant, who I love I don't think of his comedy I want Timothy Oliphant to be my sheriff I feel good in those hands I also feel like he's a loose cannon and he might shoot somebody I care about but
0: I think he's a funny guy yeah yeah but just in this this role it didn't work but they were you know what Santa Clarita Diet is pretty funny but in his defense there's not a lot of things that worked in this movie so it's okay that is true (laughs) that is true if Nick
1: Cage and Timothy Oliphant weren't saving the writing of this film
0: yeah you're right but I swear, if you told me that Angela and Jolie had no purpose in this movie, I wouldn't believe you. Because um,
1: I agree with you 100%. Literally, she's in probably 15 scenes. She probably speaks in six to eight of them. I had a girl once. She was great. She was so great. Why'd you leave her? There's some kind of history with her and Nick Cage that's really yeah. not defined. And that would be okay if you knew something about her character besides... She steals
0: cars and bartends now? Yeah, I, I guess so. And um, has really cool hair? She has cool hair. You got contacts in, and you're like, all right. Uh, yeah, I mean, like... I was just... I I don't know why I thought that this movie had some great relationship No, she's just like, two you left six years something. ago. And he's like,
1: yeah. yeah, I'm really sorry I had to. She's like, okay, I forgive you. That's yeah. the scene. I just did it for you guys. You that can actually good. fast forward
0: through That it. was it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that was interesting. I didn't know that. And, um... Or boy, Giovanni Ribisi. Ribisi. Giovanni Ribisi. Giovanni Ribisi. Ribisi. Always awesome, always Giovanni. So, do you think he has? Does he hate Aaron Paul? Do you think that? Mm. Because isn't he Jesse? Isn't he 2000 Jesse?
1: Wow. Yeah, I mean, in some way, he's greasier. Like Aaron Paul, he's this guy
0: that's a yeah. tragic figure, but has a heart. You you want him to do well, and you know he's always going to fuck up, and, yeah. and you're going to be bummed out when he's sad. But you're going to be like, "Come on, be better," and then he's just going to continue to fuck up. He's just too that's old, what, man. Just too yeah. Old. He was just too old for that. But it, I always thought that I was just like those guys. You know, they could play like brothers the, in a film. Yeah, right? uh, yeah, definitely. Do you have any other fast facts for us? Yes. So obviously, Nick Cage being a pro. He did most of his stunt driving for this film. I would expect nothing less. And he even pursued it after. And he was, you know, picked up, you know, he was racing cars and shit because he's in the cage. Wow, wow. You know,
1: speaking of his driving. So what's great about this film and our last film is that... Both lead characters drive through at high speeds those L.A. drainage ditches yeah. that were made popular in Terminator <laughs> Two.
0: So yeah, when we're talking about a man in his car, let's talk about Terminator Two and his semi driving down the Los Angeles Reservoir. I love it. You got you got it in there, dude. <laughs> um, Nick Cage also worked with Scott Con's father, James Con, in Honeymoon in Vegas. Uh, all right. Was there a lot of crazy driving in that? I don't recall. No, but you know, it's just working with sons and fathers. Yeah. And then the title to this gone in 60 seconds in Greek was come in 60 seconds, which oh. no problem. So that movie was really fast. Yeah. Right? <laughs> there you go. Before you even sit down before you even get comfortable. Yeah. Gone in 60 seconds. We did this just because I think we wanted to do six gears. It's just what it is. I yeah, mean, really, yeah. This it felt is... like six
1: cylinders, six gears, and it just felt like we needed one more film. So like literally yesterday, I sprung this on us, and I was like, let's just watch it. We yeah. haven't seen the remake in 20 years, and we watched it. It's hard to say it sucks awesome because of the budget, Yeah, but if it wasn't for the budget, it kind of sucks awesome.
0: Yeah, it's it's close to that. Maybe a guilty pleasure, but it is. it does set the groundwork for future suck awesomes it really i mean yeah, yeah when he there's a scene he ramps off the bridge you know cage does have one crazy driving stunt yeah where he drives a car off the back of one of those trucks that hauls cars and uses to go flying through the air that was the <laughs> one big stunt i mean like all the other ones is just like crazy driving and, and stuff that obviously can't really happen but that was the one where like fuck logic and he just launches like Wait, wait, wait. 600 feet. Are you saying you don't believe Nick Cage could have done that? I'm saying Tallahassee Wynn could, <laughs> but Memphis rain. <laughs> but yeah, that was like, we we're like, oh, cool. Cars uh, flying now. And you are
1: we like, right on. Fast and the Furious owes its entire legacy to the remake of Gone in 60 Seconds. I would say so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gone in 60 Seconds, man. A lot of fun. Good popcorn film. Nick Cage. You put Nick Cage in anything and I will give it a watch.
0: Maybe it's because this movie was like always on like TBS or TNT. That's that's what it reminds me of. And it feels just like I would rather I'd I'd like to watch this on TNT. <laughs> like, hang on my couch. With commercials. With commercials. Just, let's take three hours out of my day to watch <laughs> Gone in 60 Seconds and just lay there like, all right, we're watching. Well, besides TBS and TNT, where else can people see Gone in 60 Seconds? Again, Gary,
1: physical media rules all, bro. We did watch this on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to rent this shit, guys. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. Begging to be plucked. And I am it. I'd boost her,
0: and just blast Palm Springs, instantly feeling better about being me.
1: Alright Doge, that is all six gears of Road Rage. So if we're talking about anti-heroes, driving fast, not giving a shit, sticking it to the man, we're talking about Road Rage, we're talking about films like these.
0: There's just something about just gripping that wheel and just, you know, maybe you're going out there to some bust some heads. Maybe you're going out there to just fix your own mind, you know? Get right. And that's what all these movies really, like, kind of captured, I thought. We had some cool, fun cars that just, like, the, the story speaks to you, you know? They're just, like, the...
1: Yeah, I mean, I've always been attracted to stories about outsiders, and I think in certain ways all these films echo that and I'm not gonna lie I love cool ass cars and films so you know I was really excited to talk about these
0: yeah we're suckers for it I don't see anybody that's gonna be bummed out when they see a cool car on screen you know I mean yeah it's, it's and
1: if your cool. main character has a cool jacket to go along with it bam yeah that's-
0: dude cool jackets fast cars hot chicks you know
1: yeah I mean that's part of the recipe I think that's
0: anti-establishment you know, that's
1: anti-establishment, right. you know?
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen to my own drummer I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna drive my own road you know it's, I'm gonna uh, turn
1: REO speed wagon up to 11 take uh, it on the run baby
0: <laughs> yeah dude so I think it's time for us to fly on that note <laughs> All right man uh, I am Gary Michael Schultz. I'm the doge and this is cinematic quicksand fight for what you love not for what you hate <laughs>
1: cinematic quicksand on all your favorite social media and podcast
0: platforms music for cinematic quicksand was written and performed by rudy mancuso and jamie rise